0: so that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself a church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see that she respects her husband. And then let's go to Genesis 24, where I'll be talking about this the uh, story, wonderful story of uh, Isaac and Rebekah. We'll just read the first ten verses to introduce the story. And if you have time this weekend, would you please read the whole chapter? Because it's, uh, it's uh, 67 verses long. If we read it this morning, then I'd have to quit right after it. Which probably you would like, but that's the way it is. Genesis 24. Now Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. How wonderful it is to serve the Lord. He blesses us in every way. And Abraham said to his servant, that's Eliezer, the oldest of his household who had charge of all that he owned, Please place your hand under my thigh, and I'll make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I live, that you will go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Well, well, suppose the woman is not willing to follow me to this land. Should I take your son back to the land where you came? Abraham said, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth, and who spoke to me and who swore to me, saying, To your descendants I will give this land, he will send his angel before you and you will take a wife for my son from there. But if a woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this my oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten camels from the camels of his master and set out with a variety of good things of his master's in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. Now, we noticed in Ephesians chapter 5 when it was talking about Christ and the church and how Christ was preparing the church, uh, Paul said this about marriage and about this marriage of Christ and the church. It's a mystery. Because there's a mystery to love and especially a mystery to God's love. And we, as we're growing as Christians... We come to understand His love in three ever-deepening mysteries. The first is God's love, loving salvation. It's a mystery why God loves us. We know the scriptures that say God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. So whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. We also know from 1 John such passages as this, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called the children of God. This is a mystery. Why God loves us, why Jesus died for us. But we enter into this living mystery when we say, Jesus, I take you for my Lord and Savior. And suddenly every time we come and break bread on Sunday and worship the Lord, we have to ask the question, God, I still don't understand why you love me. But then there's a second, a little deeper love that we know, and that's the love that we discover in our calling. For we we find that the Lord has called us to something. It isn't just to be in love, just kind of sit around, and watch television, soap operas, and all kind, read love novels or romantic novels. No, actually, we have a calling because He loves us. And because He loves us, He has a job for us to do a place in the body of Christ. He has some good works for us to perform. He has called us to holiness. He's called us to fellowship with His Son. He's called us to serve Him. There's many different ways that we could talk about the calling that we find. And we discover it's God calling us by His love. God is saying, come to me, come to me. So the writer of Hebrews says, we are partakers of a heavenly calling. It's like from the moment you're saved and then you go a little deeper and you start to hear the Lord saying, come on up here toward heaven. You say, but here, no, I'm on earth. I, I, I can't get up there. He says, oh, yes, you can. Ps, And you start uh, coming into a heavenly calling and you turn your eyes toward heaven and, and your life is changed a little bit, made more heavenly and a little bit less hellish. And so we find transformation going on in our life because we're called by His love. Then we go into the deeper third stage. And that's the stage we have before us here when we talk about Isaac and Rebecca. And what is that? We are called by His choosing us. Have you ever realized you're just not saved? You're just not called to serve. you've been chosen chosen by God. He loves you so much. He chose you. He says, I have chosen you to be the bride of my son, the Lord Jesus. Wow, what a truth. Now, I know this whole thing with the bride. I guess we have to get over this because uh, for half of you in this room, if I say, hey, you ready to get married? You go, hey. You want to get married? Well, I know that this whole thing of bride and groom is a little bit, mm, you know. And we see uh, the story is a mystery even of this bride and the groom. Now, we, why does the Lord have chosen you to be a bride? Well, you see, beyond everything, it's a love story. Now, he's not actually calling you to be a bride. Now, you know, the Catholic Church made a big mistake about this. And so the nuns uh, go through a marriage ceremony where they marry Jesus. It's not really what he's talking about. You know. uh, there's something much deeper there, and he's really not talking about us all lining up and marrying him. I mean, you know, can you imagine me marrying Jesus? I mean, you know, I got too much of a beard and stuff. You know, you know, it's not going to be compatible even when we rub whiskers. No, no, no. <laughs> and when we're talking about being the bride, we're not talking about all that mushy stuff. But we're talking about a deep mystery of love and it's so deep that the only way the Bible can talk about it is to talk about love. Being a bride for the bridegroom. So especially you guys who have an aversion to being the bride. I mean, I know you'd rather be the groom. And probably one day you will be the groom if we can ever groom you. But that's a whole other question. And you'll find a bride. Well, that's all fine and good. But here... There's a mystery in all of that finding the bride and the groom thing and it all has to do with Jesus finding His bride. And it all has to do with us all together ready to be His bride. So you know it's interesting in the Bible there's just two. Whenever you see this bride thing come up there's two things. One is like very personal. Like if you notice on the, on the cover here it says... Uh, Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And it sounds very personal, like you, you personally have made yourself ready. The bride has made herself ready. And it goes on to explain, it's because she has this garment now that she wears and she finished the garment and so everything is now ready. You see what I'm saying? Okay, so sometimes it's very personal, but sometimes the bride, when you look in Revelation 21... And, and uh, the, the, the angel said to John, look up, there's the bride, she's coming down from heaven. And John looked up and he saw a huge city. Now that's a strange term for a bride. I saw the bride and she's a city. I've been married for 46 years and I've never called my wife a city. So suddenly we're, we're, we're caught with an idea of something very corporate, something very immense. I mean, can you imagine? Let, let's just give it a number 2.5 billion people all joined together as one bride. That's a humongous bride. But we see that in that, in that huge city full of Jesus, that's the bride. All the saints full of Jesus radiating his glory. And so our whole thing this weekend is to talk about this. How to be ready. How to be made ready to be this bride for the Lord. It's a very strange story here. We opened up reading here in Genesis 24 with the beginning of this story. And we could call Genesis 24 uh, a bride for Isaac. This is like a good title for it. Uh, As a matter of fact, that's what it says in my Bible. A bride for Isaac right there. 24 verse 1. That's a good title. It's a good working title, you see. A Bride for Isaac. Ah, yes. But you know something? See, here's the mystery. This whole chapter, and by the way, you know how important this issue is? This is the longest chapter in the book of Genesis. It's longer than the creation thing. It's longer than the Jacobs are running around. This is the longest chapter in the Bible. Uh, sorry, in Genesis. Because it's important. Because this finding of the bride is a very important thing. And so it's called the bride for Isaac. But you know what? When you get the chance to read Genesis 24, you'll find something very interesting. Uh, Isaac's not even mentioned in this thing. I mean, he's not even seen in this thing until you get to verse 62, which is near the end. As you'll see, now Isaac had come from going to Bir Laharoi. What he was doing there, nobody knows. And he was living in the Negev. And that's the first mention of Isaac in the chapter. Oh, wait a minute, there's a whole chapter about Isaac, but, uh, but uh, ah, this is the mystery, you see. Although Isaac's not brought to the scene in this story till the end of the chapter, the whole chapter's about, not just Isaac, it's about Abraham's love for Isaac. Now, this is the deeper chosen love. One day we wake up and realize that we're part of a love triangle. The main characters in the triangle are the father and the son. And the the bride is also there. But the main central character is the groom, that is Jesus. You know, the disciples loved the Lord Jesus and one day they heard a voice from heaven up on the glory mountain. Just three of the disciples. And here's what they heard. Behold, this is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. And they suddenly heard God talking about how much He loves His Son. And it's like, can I put it this way? I know this is like playing with words, but this is what I think they saw that day. The disciples saw they were loved by God, but they saw that Jesus was the beloved of God. You see the difference? Now, we have to know that we're loved by God. The Bible says we're loved by God. He loves us so much. He died, sent his son to die for us. We're loved by God. But listen, you know what the real mystery of love is behind the whole universe and before time began and why he created us and everything. You know why he created us? Because he loves the son. The father loves the son. And so because the father loves the son, the, the father is now looking for a bride for his son. And that's why this whole story is really about Abraham sending out his servant to find a bride. And Isaac's in the background, you see. Isaac may be in the background, but he is the central figure in terms of who is loved the most. Now, I hope that doesn't bother you, that you're not the most loved person by God. I know most of us feel like we're the center of the universe. And I know when I was saved, I said, boy, I'm so happy God saved me because now he's found the center of the universe. It's me. I love God. He loves me. That's the best way it could be. But I had a wake up call somewhere down the line when I finally saw I saw I said I was singing a song God loves me, I love him one day he says ah, 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 I love my son. And if you love my son, then I love you. I said, oh, What what? You mean I'm not the number one person in the center of the universe? And the father says, No, Jesus is the number one beloved person in the center of the universe. That's the mystery of this whole love story. If you don't understand how much Abraham loves his son Isaac, then you don't understand the story. Because this isn't a story about Isaac finding a bride, no. It's a story about the father finding a bride for his beloved son. Now, can you imagine, you just got to put yourself in the shoes of Abraham or his sandals, whatever the case may be, and realize how Abraham felt about Isaac. When Isaac was born, they called him ha-ha, a, a laughter. Yitzhak means laughter because when the Hebrews laugh, they go, zik, zak, zak, zak. <laughs> no, no, I'm only kidding you. <laughs> but uh, they name him ha-ha. And now Abraham wants to send out the, the servant to find the bride so they can have mini ha-has. <laughs> That's a bad joke, though. Okay, listen. <laughs> What it means is that when Isaac was born, Abraham was a hundred years old. And I want to tell you, it was the happiest day of his life. He had squinjillion dollars in the bank and nobody to give it to. And suddenly he's got a son of promise. His own son, born of Sarah. Boy, I could just imagine Abraham. You know, when you're a hundred years old, you can do whatever you want. You know? Uh, I think I'll attend uh, uh, to the one million sheep over there in uh, Beersheba. No, nah, forget about it. I'm going to play, uh, I'm gonna play uh, Tinker Toys with uh, Isaac. Let's go, Isaac. Ha, 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 build the Tinker Toys. Abraham doted over Isaac, loved Isaac, took care of Isaac. Didn't change his diaper. In those days, only Sarah did that. Uh, and he just loved him all the time, watched him grow up. When he was 12 years old, got him his first um, ATV vehicle, whatever they call. And they would go out on the ranch and look at some of the sheep and stuff. And his dad would show him how to whittle fences. And oh, this is so much fun to have a son you can show all this stuff. He went with his son to the ball game at the New Shea Stadium. This <laughs> is, oh man, what a wonderful treat. How he loved his son. But But, but, but listen, then one day his son paid him back. Because there up on the altar, Isaac just laid there. You know why? Because he loved his dad. And his dad was going to plunge the knife down into Isaac. It was a test. And after that time, he got his son back. Now this is my son. Look how much he loved me. He was willing to be sacrificed by me. Now... Abraham loves Isaac more than anything else, more than Sarah, more than Ishmael, more than any of the sheep. He loved HaHa the best <laughs> because of his love for him. So now there's a love thing between Abraham and Isaac. And Abraham says, Isaac, just uh, just stay home, read your Bible. I'm going to get you a bride. Now the Father loves the Son. And our Father in heaven loves Jesus so much because Jesus died on the cross. Why? Because He loved us? Yes, but more. Because He loved the Father. Did you ever think that He died for you because He loved the Father so? And now the Father loves the Son more than any other person. He always has. But now so much more. Not only just because He loves them, because God loves because He loves, but also because of His faithfulness and His love. And now the Father wants everything for His Son. So His Father says things like this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10. At At the right time, God is going to bring everything under Jesus. He's going to bring all the enemies under Jesus' feet. He's going to make every creature kneel down. Every creature. I, I mean, even horses and elephants, who fortunately, because they were in the circus, knew how to kneel. Creation's going to kneel in their great liberation. And everything that's got a tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I mean, the, the Father's got this plan. It's already been worked out. And because of Jesus' death and resurrection, this plan is going to happen. One day, it's all going to happen. Everything's going to bow down. Satan is going to be humiliated and bow down. All the enemies are going to be bowed down. All the saints are going to bow down. What a wonderful day it is. And yet, you know what? The father's like Abraham. says, you know what? I, I'm, not, I'm not happy. I, I'm not happy with this. So if I have everybody bow down before Jesus, I'm still not happy. If, if I give him the kingdom of the world, I'm still not happy. I'm not happy until, until he's got you. I want somebody to share this with Jesus. Not just me, the father, and the son. I want father, son, and a bride. You know something? This universe is all about him. You know that famous worship song, right? It's all about you, Jesus. But you know something? Right now, as far as the Holy Spirit's concerned, it's all about you. We have the privilege of really making the Father happy. You want to make the Father happy, then be ready for His Son. You couldn't do anything better We sing that song, wonderful hymn, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, How Vast Beyond All Measure. Truth of the matter is, the song really is this, How Deep the Father's Love for Jesus. But of course, He loves us too. You know why He loves us? Because we respect Jesus. God the Father loves anybody who respects Jesus. Do you believe in Jesus? Ah, the Father's love for you gets deeper. Do you serve the Lord Jesus? Oh, the Father's love gets deeper, vast beyond all measure. Wait! Have you said, I want to be ready for Jesus? Oh, the Father. The Father loves you so. I think there's almost nothing the Father won't give you. There's no way He'll not help you to be ready for His Son. If you'll just consecrate yourself toward that purpose. My, my, my. (laughs) The Father loves His Son so much. and Anybody who really loves His Son got 100% help from the Holy Spirit while you're on this earth. And so we come to this wonderful story here and we see that the Father is waiting for us to be prepared. But now that causes a problem, right? How many of you have a problem with that? He's just waiting for us. It's all on us. It's up to us now. We've got to get back to and, and what's wrong with that? Well, it's because you look at yourself in the mirror like I do every day. You say, oh, boy. Ah, more lines. I'm getting uglier and older. And my head's twisting sideways involuntarily. And, uh, you know... Uh, I, I'm not ready yet. I, I, don't, I don't think I can get ready. I, I, and especially, listen, I, I can get ready if I'm supposed to marry, you know, uh, Georgie Porgie. But that, uh, God wants me to marry his son, his holy son, his glorious son. I, I, I'm just not ready yet. And by the way, we'll look tomorrow. That's kind of the way Rebecca felt, you know. Think about her. She was basically watering camels in the next minute. She's a queen. That's a little tough to adjust to. We'll look at that tomorrow. But right now, the point is this. I mean, when you and I hear, you've got to get ready. Oh, get ready. Evening shadows fall. You realize the marriage is getting closer and closer. You say, oh, wait, I'm not ready and I'm not ready. That's why... This story, a whole chapter is about Isaac, but it doesn't mention Isaac. And it's all about Abraham's uh, love for the son, but it doesn't mention Abraham except at the beginning. This whole chapter is about da, 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 the faithful servant. It's his story. And the faithful servant for us is Eliezer, who is the Holy Spirit. And so we just want to look. At the Holy Spirit's job. Now this, you see, because this whole thing of you and I being ready, you know the scriptures, right? It's impossible for man. But, it's possible with Rudy Kazooty? No, no. It's possible with uh, God. The Holy Spirit is so, so faithful. You know, We say that Jesus is our friend, and it's really true. But I'll tell you who's your friend that's closer than a brother. And that's the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. Because he's doing everything he can to get you ready. You see, the Holy Spirit is like that servant who took that vow. This servant, Eliezer, took a vow on his life. I will not live for anything until this purpose is solved. I will die if I have to trying to bring a bride for Isaac. This is how committed Eliezer, this wonderful servant, was. And he's such a picture of the Holy Spirit because you know what? The Holy Spirit has taken the job of getting us ready for Jesus. Only He can do it. He is God. But He can do it. He wants to do it. Now, immediately you see the impossibility of it, right? If you just think about it. When Abraham says, Okay, come here, Eliezer. I got a job for you. He says, First, here's what I want you to do. I want you to find a bride for my beloved son. Now, she can't be a local bride. I don't want a worldly bride. I want somebody from my home country. Okay, now that means for the servant, he's got to travel a thousand miles by camelback to a place that Abraham hasn't been in 70 years and probably the servant has never been to. thousand mile journey out there. huh? Hmm. And then... I want you to find my family. Only my family. I, I don't go to some bozos out there in Babylon. I, I want somebody from the family of Nahor. Now, Abraham only had one uh, brother, uh, you know, left in this whole thing. Haran died early. So, Nahor, and of course, had died long ago. Only Abraham lived, you know, real old. And Nahor had died. And uh, he'd heard a little rumor across the desert that the, somewhere out there, Nahor's family, is. said, how do you find Nahor's family? And then, even more, does Nahor have any children? And then, either can't marry Nahor's children, or they would be women a hundred years old. And they could be bad. No, no, no. This has got to be Nahor's grandchildren. Now, how, how do I know this? Well, maybe, maybe there's a girl in the in the litter of Nahor's grandchildren. I don't know. But then, of course. She's got to be suitable for Isaac. Now, he can't come back to Abraham and Isaac with a woman with a bag over her head. And he says, well, uh, the bad news is she has no teeth. But uh, the good news is she still has one eye. (laughs) It's got to be a bride that's compatible, that's suitable. Can I even dare to say, oh, and I'm sure they wouldn't even say this. The servant didn't really pray this exactly. He says, would you please find me a woman suitable? Translated to me, could she be pretty? Maybe. Well, I mean, what an impossible task. No, boy, the boy that's not it. Then you've got to convince her family uh, to, to go back across a thousand miles by camelback with this bozo named Eleazar, who looks like he's old and ready to die anyway. Go back to some place that they've never been and has got to be willing to get rid of their daughter, which now you don't understand this, but back in the old days, daughters were servants in the house. Until they get married, you were happy to have the servant because she is the one who always cooked the bacon and eggs and swept up and went down and got water for the family and so on and so forth. It was good to have girls around who didn't get married because then you had servants aplenty. the family was having to get rid of their servant, maybe their best servant. Hey, man, that's no good. Oh, wait a minute. It's even more difficult than that. She's got to be willing to go back. Now, you know, know, it's going to take more than a, a nose ring and a couple of earrings to convince a woman to go a thousand miles. Now, you see, here's the deal. Now, we know this. It's a great mystery. It's somewhere in the Bible. I can't quite find it, but here it is. Women always get their man. Now, it's women who, des- who decide who they're going to marry, and they marry him. Now, the man sometimes thinks that they're courting a woman and that they're laying a trap to uh, catch somebody, to cause her to fall in love, and then to say yes when he uh, proposes the engagement. You know what? Uh, there's men who, who, when they tell me such a story, I, I know that there's a couple of chapters missing. <laughs> there's another angle in the story, which is how uh, the woman took a bolero, whoosh, and snatched the guy, and whoosh, brought her in. Now, th- this is innate in all women. They capture their man. Now, Rebecca has got to be willing to go back to a guy she's never seen. What if he's a bozo? Hey, what if he's hundred and twenty years old, and he, you know and he looks like uh, I don't know, you know the monster hunchback of Notre Dame or I mean this whole thing's by faith. she says he got pictures, he, uh, I, you, know, you know what uh, the servant said, I left my iPod uh, you know uh, my Camelback uh, battery pack gave out, and I got no pictures. Uh, you know it's, I mean, it, we're, now, are we talking faith or what? you know? how about if I came to you and you live in Richmond, Virginia and say, hey, my name's Dane, I live in New York City and you know what? Uh, I got somebody in there I want you to marry. Now, just close your eyes and put a blindfold on you and say, I do and then I'll show you who it is. <laughs> That's basically it. Now, is that impossible or what? I mean, no wonder the servant asks questions. But, 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 wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What if this girl doesn't want to go? Should I bring Happy out there to Babylon? The father said, Don't you bring Happy back there. God promised us this land, and He's not going back to (sighs) Babylon. Eliezer said, Okay, I swear on my life, I now get ready to die. (laughs) 1,000 miles. Remember my bones in the wilderness, oh God. What an impossible task. But Abraham had such confidence, he says, God will be with you, God will send an angel. And God did send an angel. And her name was Rebekah. Rebecca. Well, hey, did that sound like an impossible story? No, 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 no. Let me tell you the real impossible story. Now, the Father says, Holy Spirit, I want you to go out. Now, I want you to find some sinners. And I want you to turn them into a bride. And here's what I want you to do. First, I want you to convict them of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And to the place that they're born again, because you see, unless they're part of the family, they can't be the bride. I don't care how clean they look, how nice they are, how much money they have, if they're not part of the family, because they're born again by the Spirit, they can't be the bride. So that's your first job. Then, you've got to take their totally worldly Hollywood minds and convince them that they love Jesus, their unseen bridegroom, more than anything in the world. Now, that's a tough job. Now, we have grown up, you know, watching TV and having our heroes and our idols. I mean, you know, even the, even like this guy uh, N- Madoff, this scandalous uh, swindler. You know what? In, in uh, New York City, I hate to say this, he's a hero on Wall Street and among investment bankers. They've made off as a hero because he pulled off such a deal. I mean, he's going to jail now. It doesn't make any difference. People love heroes. Now the Holy Spirit has to convince us by transforming our minds that this one who we never have seen we love, and we're willing to leave Babylon. Now oh, that's tough. Are you willing to leave the world behind you? Nah, not only that. Then get on a camel, which is basically your rough journey. You know, these guys, these twelve people raised a hand, they all rode on the camel. Let me tell you, all of them are still a little sore, you know where. Because a camel ride is not an exercise of bliss. They basically sway you like twenty degrees to port and twenty degrees to starboard and uh, you're so seasick, and uh, these, these, these things are not for riding. I, I don't know why people ride them. It's just a torture trip. But you know what? She, uh, you have to agree to go on a sojourn, on a pilgrimage, on the straight and narrow way, to go and meet the Master whom you've never loved, whom you've never seen, which you've just heard about. Man, that's pretty tough. Oh, wait, 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 wait. It's a lot tougher than that. The Holy Spirit has to simultaneously do that with 2.1 billion others who are also saved climbing on a camel. He's got to break down the walls between you and I, our prejudices, our differences, our dislikes and everything and make us one together in the body of Christ and one bride for Jesus. Think about it. And then he's got to perfect us on the journey so that when we get there, we're ready. Ready? So on the journey, we've got to be perfected. The body, soul, and spirit sanctified. He's got to get us ready for this new position of being a queen in the king's court. I mean, what a job the Holy Spirit has. Only he can do it. He's the greatest engineer of circumstances that ever has been. And so he engineers your circumstances and mine to break down the sin in our life to deliver us from various things. You see, He's even got a plan for when you're going on the camel and you fall. Because many times a Christian goes along and then they fall. The Holy Spirit has to get you back up there, clean you off, cleanse you off, catch you up to your camel, get you back on there. He has to keep you from falling. And present you faultless before the the bridegroom. What an impossible job. But this is exactly what the Holy Spirit is going to do in your life and mine. He has begun the work and He will take you through. Now, that's why sometimes the Lord has to deal with you a little bit tough. Because this journey is so worth it. But a lot of times we lose sight of the importance of the journey on the way until the Holy Spirit reminds us. Now, how did the Holy Spirit convince this uh, family to let go of Rebecca and Rebecca herself? How did He convince them? He actually had three tools. Eleazar had three tools to convince Rebecca to come back. And the Holy Spirit uses these same three tools, very important tools, and it's all it takes to capture us. We hear Him, we see Him, we know Him and we find ourselves captured. What is the first tool? If you look in chapter 24,